Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Listen, that song that we just sang prior to our video, I want to read some of those words back to you. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross, darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Grace so free washes over me. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. The words of that song, that is the message of the gospel. That, that is the reality of the good news of Jesus. And from our 56ers that we just saw in the video to the little kids that were on the stage this morning, to you and I, experiencing the good news of Jesus taking, taking root in, in our hearts. As we come to understand what it means to live out of the good news of Jesus. So from everything that you have seen this morning, all the the different age groups that are represented, going back some 2,000 years to the, the earliest followers of Christ that we see in the book of Acts, the thing that we are seeing is, is that, that this good news, this message about Christ, that reality is planting roots deep in the hearts of all kinds of people. This morning we're going to dive into Acts chapter 9. Last week we were in Acts 10. This week we're going to jump back to Acts 9 where we pick up the storyline of Saul of Tarsus who becomes the Apostle Paul and whose, whose story we will follow during the rest of our time in the book of Acts. And so with today, we are 10 chapters into Acts, and and here's what we've seen so far. This this good news of Jesus is, is expanding outward at an exponential rate, expanding in a geographic sense from Jerusalem outward and also expanding by laying down roots deep into the hearts of all kinds of people. So, so this week, I went back through the 10 chapters that we've looked at, and, and I looked at this question. Can I have that question? So in Acts 1 through 10, what kinds of people have come to know Jesus? And I started to make a list, and it's very possible that I did not capture all the folks on this list. But here's what I came up with. People from different places. People who speak different languages. We saw both of those in Acts chapter 2. People in, in large numbers who come to, to know Jesus in mass numbers. People who come to know Jesus through individual conversations. People in different places. As, as the good news pushes outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and beyond. People of different races, people of different nationalities, people of different religions, people of different socioeconomic situations. Right From the common Joe off the streets of Jerusalem to this, this high official who's an Ethiopian to this, this Roman army officer. People who are open to the good news of Jesus. People who are seeking those who are spiritually curious. No matter the backstory, no, no matter the differences behind the kind of people that we see on this list. These people to this point in the book of Acts quickly see that the gospel is bigger and better and wider and deeper and more compelling 
than what they had been basing their lives on before they met Jesus. And they, they pretty quickly opened their hearts to the life change that Jesus brings. But this morning, we are going to see someone who is quite different from, from the kind of person that we have seen to this point in the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to see the good news of Christ pushed through yet another wall. Today, we, we meet someone who is so confident that they have the right answers, that they have all the answers when it comes to God, that they are not open to the good news of Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is someone who is doing everything with, within their power to stop the spread of the message of Christ, to hurt those who have come to know Jesus. See, the gospel is offensive to, to mainline Judaism, which insists that Jesus could not have been the Messiah. It is so offensive to the Jewish leaders that they begin to hunt down and imprison and kill those who have started to follow Christ. There's this backlash against the early church that actually propels the story of Jesus out into the world as those believing in Christ can't help but to talk about him wherever they go. And so one of the main players in this backlash is Saul of Tarsus. And here's how Paul formally saw, here's how, here's how Paul describes himself later on in Acts 26 as he remembers back. Paul says, I, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogue to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This is exactly what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 9. So what you have to know is, is that, that part of, of the ancient world, right, the part in which both Jerusalem is and Damascus is, all of that was under Roman rule. And the Romans were not particularly interested in the, the religious sensibilities of the people that they conquered, as long as those religious matters helped to keep people in line and did not incite rebellion against Rome. And so the city of Damascus is about 140 miles away from Jerusalem, and this backlash against the followers of Jesus, these followers of Christ run to Damascus, again, also under Roman rule. And so the Romans are totally okay with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem authorizing the extradition of these followers of Christ back to Jerusalem for punishment. It's where we dive into our story in Acts chapter 9. Luke writes, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. 
I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself, himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were searching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And so now Saul, as someone definitely not looking for Jesus, someone himself looking to to capture and destroy those who have come to know Jesus. Saul finds himself being captured by Christ. If we go back to that list that we looked at a few moments ago, we can add this to our list. What kinds of people have come to know Jesus? People who are dead set against the good news of Jesus. I think as we look at this list, that we are supposed to come to an aha moment. Come to, to, to a realization that as we see person after person after person in different situation after situation after situation come to the realization that Jesus is the Savior. That we are meant to see that there is no one outside the absolutely expansive, powerful reach of Jesus. There is no one who does not need, whether they realize it or not, there is no one who does not need to hear those words spoken to their hearts, I am Jesus. Because if you are here this morning and you know Jesus as the king of your heart, you cannot write off Saul's story as being too different from your own. 
Because the reality is the story of how you met Jesus is no less miraculous than Saul's story. I could be wrong, but I doubt that there is anyone in this room with a backstory quite like Saul's. For me, I was a little kid in the family room of of our little house in Ohio with my mom and my dad kneeling in front of our couch. And so on one extreme, you've got this religious extremist who is, who is full of, of hate and murderous intent. And on the other extreme, you've got someone like me coming to, to know Jesus, being captured by Jesus as a seven-year-old and each and every point in between. But the reality is, is that the Bible tells us that regardless of your backstory, regardless of your behavior before we met Jesus, the heart situation of every single one of us, your heart was wrecked. Your heart was diseased. Your heart was stained with sin. Your heart was terminal. Your heart was stone cold, dead, And then King Jesus, the one who who came down to this earth, the one who died on that cross to be the sacrifice for you, to be the sacrifice for your sin, the one who in victory came out of that grave, that same King Jesus called to your heart, I am Jesus. And that, my friends, I'm convinced is the most miraculous thing in this world. And so I want this morning to be all about us celebrating that miracle. The miracle of a Jesus who called and still calls stone-cold dead hearts to life. The miracle of our hearts hearing his voice, I am Jesus. Can we celebrate that? I think as, as good Lancaster Countyans, we have a hard time with celebration. (laughs) So let me ask that again. Can we celebrate that? That was a little bit better. Not quite there yet, but we're making progress. So to that end, I've asked two of our MBIC family come to share with us this morning how they were captured by Jesus, and I've invited them to share their stories, really using the same sort of flow that we see coming out of Saul's story in Acts chapter 9. And so I've asked them to share along the lines of, of these couple of questions. So coming to share with us this morning is Jesse Grub and then Andy Eldeen. Morning. Good morning. Jesus captured my life not in a lightning bolt flash of glory moment, but it was a process and continues to be a process each and every day. Um, I was involved with drugs and alcohol in my teen years, and I was just finding my pleasure in drugs, alcohol, and women. All the wrong things. Uh, a lot of us were getting into trouble. No one was really getting hurt per se, but we were definitely going down the wrong path. And then one evening in particular, um, I'll never forget it, 
no matter how hard I want to forget it, it's just not going to happen. I saw a couple of my friends do something that was totally different, and it changed the way I saw things. And I knew that this wasn't the path that we were called to go down. And that started pulling on me. So then I started seeking answers, just really asking, what am I doing? Uh, I was working at the hardware store at that time, and a friend asked me out to lunch, and never turned down a free meal. So we went out to lunch, and it wasn't one of those things where he immediately, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was, what's going on? How's life? Uh, What can I help you with? He was listening. He was asking questions. He wanted to know about me personally. And that was awesome. That was something that I never experienced before. So that meant a lot. Just have someone really care about me personally. And from that moment on, it was still a process of coming to know Jesus and allowing him to come into my heart and really allow it to shape that. I saw where my life was and where he was taking me from. And I wanted to share that with others. Our lives doesn't have to end with us, but we're meant to share that with others. Um, even the worst person can be saved. Uh, people are born and people die every single day that don't know Jesus. And that means our mission is not over and Jesus isn't done with us. Not until the day we see him. So whether you're 8 or 80, we all know that enthusiastic new believer who's on fire for Jesus, but... At what point do we become so mature in Christ that we don't go out to share with that person that doesn't know? Um, Just every day, coming to a point of, I still need the same grace this morning that I did at that night where God pulled me out. And just to wake up and ask for that grace and forgiveness and to find that joy is just a simple little reminder that we can each do each and every day and to help remind us to share with that person. So, and that starts with listening and then loving. And that just means a lot. So.